Well, it's good to be with you this morning as we continue this sermon series on If This, Then That, a study on the book of Ephesians. If is a tiny word with tremendous significance and implication. Think of all the things in your life that could have been different if something would have gone the other direction. You know, if I eat well and exercise, then I will probably feel better and possibly live longer. If I believe that Kentucky will win the SEC National Championship in football, then I will probably always be disappointed. <laughs> the Bible is full of incredible promises. If I confess my sins to God, then he is faithful and just to forgive me. I've seen this in ministry in my life, these words of Jesus, if I have the faith of a mustard seed, then I will see mountains of doubt, fear, and guilt move. I believe the Bible is clear in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if God's people will humble themselves, confess, repent, and turn from their wicked ways, then God will hear, heal, and restore their land. If you're faithful in little things, I've seen God make people faithful in bigger things. And today, our subject is grace. If we have received the grace of God in our lives, then our Christian lives should be different. There should be evidence in our lives that we received the grace of God. I want to talk to you today about some of the ways that grace changes your life. To, to prepare for this message, I want to read an incredible passage of Scripture. What a blessing it is to read this passage from the book of Ephesians. If you're able, would you stand reading from chapter 2 from the book of Ephesians, beginning with verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And one of the most profound words in the Bible is the conjunction, three-letter word, but. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The incredible powerful word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. 
Father God, I thank you for your grace in my life that I cannot be standing up here today speaking, preaching, leading without your grace. Lord, I pray that we would understand the reality of the situation today, the reality of our situation, and that you would use your word to help us understand who we are, who you want us to be, and how we should live our lives. Father, thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. And may we lift his name higher than any other name today. And may lives be changed today wherever people are listening. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul begins with a reality check. He says, once you were dead, not physically, but spiritually, once you were dead, once we all used to live that way, we were dead in our sins. Now, sin is not a popular word today, but the meaning of sin is missing the mark or falling short of God's will and God's plan for your life. All of us in this room are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But by the grace of God, Many in this room are listening online have found salvation. Now, I think Paul in his reality check gives us some signs that we can determine whether we are spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And it's important today that we have a check. So what are the signs that you might be spiritually dead? The first I would say is an absence of connection. You have very little or if any contact with God. The, 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 the communication is non-existent for the most part. Maybe you call upon God whenever you're in trouble or there's something, you know, getting ready to have an accident, oh, God, help me, or God, don't let this happen. But there's not a personal connection. In fact, there's apathy toward God. There's no relationship. There is no peace in your life. There's no power in your life, and you're just making it through life. You know, going to get to the end if I can. It's a sign you might be spiritually dead. A second sign is an absence of compassion in your life. That your heart is not moved by the things that move the heart of God. That when you see brokenness, you, you cross the street. You're blind to human suffering and pain. Jesus, in an incredible passage in Matthew 25, said... To the disciples, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And whenever I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you gave me something to wear. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you came to help me. And they say, Jesus, when did we see you like that? And he says, whenever you've done it for the least of these, my brothers or sisters, you've done it for me. If you're not seeing those people, and those situations are bothering you, and you're crossing the street then it might be a sign that you're spiritually dead. I love this quote from St. Augustine. He says, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger that things are the way they are and courage to make them the way they ought to be. We can conclude that when there is an absence of compassion, you might be spiritually dead, but there's also an absence of hope that we feel lost and we have no sense of direction. 
We don't know why we're on the earth. Why am I here? What's my purpose? I heard a story about a farmer who was working in his field one day and he saw a man coming down his driveway and he was obviously didn't know where he was going. The old farmer did not understand that the man was suffering from amnesia. So he brings the man into the, the porch and gets him in the shade and he's asking him some questions. He says, where are you coming from? The man said, I don't know. The farmer says, where, where are you going? I don't know. The farmer says, well, who are you? The man said, I don't know. And the farmer told the man, man, you're lost. <laughs> you are lost. But the farmer cared about him. He took him in and gave him some lunch. And then after lunch, he got out a map and began to discuss things that made sense to the man and began to see things a little more clearly and, and began to realize where he was from and began to remember who he was and where he needed to go. And he was no longer lost. Today, I want you to know that we're taking out the word of God and we're helping you to identify where you are. Who are you? Where are you at right now? And where is God wanting you to go? And, and God does not want you to be lost. He wants you to know he has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to show you his grace. An absence of compassion, an absence of hope, an absence of connection, and probably your spiritual dead when you have an absence of commitment. You're not committed. Not committed to the things of God, not committed to, to get to know God better. There is no hunger or thirst in your life. You're more committed to the culture than you are to Christ. And then there's an absence of repentance, no commitment to turn away from choices that are destructive, from sins that are habitual, addictions that are controlling your life. I love this statement, a culture without repentance has no future. I want you to hear that. If we have a culture that does not believe in repentance, we have no future. We need to come, become spiritually alive. Now, I think wrapped up in all of this, the, these signs of being spiritually dead, is an absence of awareness of Satan. I love this definition. Satan is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to believe or follow God. Refuse to believe or follow God. It says again in our text, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And when we're spiritually dead, we're not aware that there is a spirit at work in our hearts causing us to refuse to obey God. We're in, we're in spiritual warfare. So today, I want us to know what grace is. Again, this great word, but God, rich in mercy and rich in love, offers us grace even though we're lost and we don't know where we're going. It is through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that Jesus Christ came to pay the debt he didn't know because we have a debt we cannot pay. I shared that on Easter Sunday. It's such a great statement. Jesus Christ didn't have any debt to pay but he came to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. I love this acrostic for grace. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how much God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
Grace is about pardon from your sins. You've been pardoned by the grace of God. But also, you've been given power to overcome your sins. Without, when you're spiritually dead, you have no pardon, you have no power. You just are in control, being controlled by, by the decisions you make. Now, all of us in this room are listening are a work in progress. None of us are perfect yet. But by the grace of God, we receive power to help us fight against sin, to make better choices and to see the change of addiction broken in our lives. Grace is unmerited favor. Nobody in this room or listening deserves the grace of God. Somebody say amen to that. That's why we sing that great classic, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is the free gift of salvation. So today I want you to know that is God's offer to you. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this, that God offers you the grace of forgiveness and mercy that you do not deserve. I do not deserve. That's grace. Unmerited favor. I want to also say that grace can be distorted. People get confused about grace, and it can be distorted. You know, we live in a merit-based world. From the earliest days, these, these young children will go to school, and uh, they'll be trained in school and grades and, and academics, and it's merit-based. They will get grades if they earn them, right? All through school, we get grades based on what we earn. We get into athletics, and we're going to get medals and trophies based on our merit, based on how good we did. Then if we get into business, achievement, and, and, and things that we gain is based on what we earn. Acceptance is often based on what we earn. So we live in a merit-based world, and so we sometimes think that we gotta earn the grace of God, that I gotta be good enough so that God will love me. I gotta perform so God will love me. That is not grace. Grace is free. It's a gift of God. Again, from our text, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not God saved you by his grace when you worked hard. God saved you by your, his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. See, that's hard for us. We, we like to, we like to uh, sometimes testify about what we've earned. Hey, you know, this is what I did last week, you know. I went down and placed some God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, wanna, we, wanna, we, wanna, we wanna testify, right? But, but it's hard for us to testify that this gift of God is free. The grace of God is free. Grace can be distorted and grace can be diluted. In Jude 4, we read these troubling words. The author says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. That's a strong word for today. It was a strong word when Jude was written. But there are people who would say that God's marvelous grace gives you the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Grace without truth is diluted. John 1 writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. You know, we think about following Jesus. We want to follow Jesus Christ and we read the gospels and we get a bit intimidated by all the things we have to do or we, we would want to do to follow Jesus because he's the perfect son of God. 
How about we just commit to grace and truth? I can do two things, right? Grace and truth. I want to be a person of grace. I want to be a person of truth. A person of integrity and a person of mercy and grace. You know, it's what it means to be like Jesus. When we elevate grace above truth and make grace more important than truth, we're saying it's okay to sin. You know, we, it's really hard not to sin. So God's grace, you're good. Don't be too hard on yourself. You know, when we diminish truth, we devalue grace. And I believe that in our culture, in our world today, that grace is rapidly becoming a synonym for tolerance. It doesn't matter. Your choices don't matter. You have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. And it results in what some would call Christian universalism. That everything is okay and everybody will be okay. Then we no longer believe in hell. We no longer have personal responsibility because we have diluted grace because we've removed truth. It's grace and truth. See, the gospel is that we're all sinners, that we all deserve eternal punishment, but through the grace of God, Jesus went to the cross and died a, a brutal death for our sins, and on the third day, he rose to the dead, and if we repent and turn from our sins and believe that we will receive this incredible grace. Remember, grace is when we don't get what we deserve, but we receive the gift of God. See, God's grace shows us favor and blessing even though we don't deserve grace or can't earn grace. Romans 5, 8, for God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. If truth wasn't important, why did Jesus go to the cross and die for our sins? Truth is important. The truth about who we are is important. And we're called to live in obedience to God's will and God's word. I love what the old preacher H.A. Arnside used to preach on this text. He would say, we are sinners deserving judgment. But Jesus said to the Father, put that on my account. Don't you love it when you go to pay at the register and somebody said, hey, your meal's been paid for. Somebody put that on their account. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. That's exactly what Jesus did with our sins. He said, put those on my account. I died for those sins. I paid the price. But we got to receive it, friends. We got to believe it. We got to receive it. I remember my, uh, <clears throat> it was the second semester of my junior year, and I was getting ready to go to seminary the next year or the year after my graduation, and I had to start applying and all that. And, uh, and I was failing sociological theory. It was a class in my major. I was traveling and singing. We were on the road speaking, and I was just, my, my schoolwork suffered, and I was failing sociological theory. There was no hope. I was going to fail the class. And that was going to put in jeopardy me getting to seminary and all that stuff. And, uh, and Lynn and I were going to get married the next semester, next year. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm going to fail you. I'm going to fail this class. So my friends told me to pray about it. You know, and I thought, well, you know, I pray about it, but I'm the one that failed the class. I'm the one that messed up. And they said, well, just keep praying about it. God's going to work it out. Well, so be, it so happened that near the end of the spring semester that I was failing sociological theory, no hope that I got mono, right? So I get mono, that helps a lot, you know, and I, got a, I got no chance, I got mono now. So I had to take an incomplete, I had to take an incomplete in all of my classes that spring semester. So I got a little bit of, little bit of, little bit of grace, you know, mono, I don't, I don't get an F yet. <laughs> I get an F when I come back. So I took, a, I took an incomplete, 
and, and, and I go to Conway, and Lynn and I were dating, and I worked as a youth minister. When you got mono, you can do that, you know. And as a youth minister, and, uh, uh, and did some work, and we prayed all summer long that I would somehow, you know, get through the class, and I could then get to seminary the next year. Well, I get back to school my senior year. I go to my professor's office so I can plead mercy, you know, beg for forgiveness, you know, for, for not doing the work. And I had this incomplete. And I go there, and there's a sign on the door that says, Dr., I can't remember his name, Dr. So-and-so has now uh, moved from the university. He is now teaching at another university, and all of his students got uh, pass-fail, pass. Everybody passed. I go, this is a miracle. This is amazing, amazing. I, I, you know, I didn't deserve it. I did not deserve it. I, I, I did not deserve it. I felt bad for like two seconds. And I then said, thank you, thank you. And, and it, was, it was undeserved, but I got it. I got to go to seminary and the rest is history. You know, grace and faith are required for salvation. I had to accept the grace and I had to believe it was okay. I had nightmares for, for, for years on that class, right? I was waking up and I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. You know, so I, I suffered for a while with that. But, but you, you, grace and faith are required. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. This is a gift from God. You know, friends, the gift of God is incredible. I love this quote from Emma. She's preaching on this next door. The salvation God offers us is freely ours if we'll dare to believe he's that good. Today, will you dare to believe that God is this good? That he will offer you the gift of grace. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's got some truth tied to it. It means I gotta make some changes in my life. But he will give me the grace to make those changes. So let me give you these, and I'm going to go through them quickly because I'm running short. Give me some grace. <laughs> what are the signs that you're spiritually alive? Let me give these to you. If you're spiritually alive, if I'm saved by grace, then I'll be a gracious person. I will be a gracious person. Grace people live gracious lives. If I'm not a gracious person as a Christian, I must not believe that my God is gracious. If I've been graced by grace, I will be a gracious person. You know, I love this story in Matthew 18. It's a story that Jesus tells about the unforgiving uh, servant. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of, God, of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors who brought, in, who brought him, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now, millions of dollars. Jesus has given such an extreme example that the whole economy of Judea was not millions of dollars. In fact, in U.S. dollars, it's almost a billion what, what is owed here. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. He forgave it. Millions of dollars, he forgave his debt. If you read the story, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. The servant fell down and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. 
And you know how the story ends, right? The king heard about the unforgiving servant that he forgave millions of dollars of debt, and he had the servant arrested and put in prison so he could repay the debt. You see, Jesus has painted a picture that if you experience grace, you need to give grace. You know, I believe the meaning of that parable is that the man that owed millions of dollars thought he had been given more time. He had been given an extension. So he went and tried to get people to help him pay off his debt he could not repay. Sometimes we think the grace of God is an extension so I can get things worked out. God's going to love me when I get things worked out. God's going to love me. He's going to, he's going to bless me when I get things worked out. And that's not the way it works. God forgave you, period. It's done. It's over. Forget about it. He washed away your sins. They're gone. He's, he's washed you clean. Amen? And because of that, we need to be gracious people, right? We need to go and spread grace around to those who need grace. Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I had a situation that came up here years ago in the church, and it was a really a very painful time for Lynn and I. There were some accusations that were made. There were some anonymous letters that were sent out to some friends of ours, and some charges were made, and it was, it was, it was hard and painful and disappointing. And so in order to get to the bottom of it, we invited, our, our personnel committee invited the district superintendent uh, to come and look at everything and, and try to give some, some, some clarity and make sure that things were okay. And I never forget waiting for that meeting to be over. It was like a six-hour meeting. It felt like 20 hours waiting for that meeting to get over. And I got invited into the room and the district superintendent looked at me and said, hey, we've looked at everything and I think you're in the clear. Everything's good. What do you want me to do with these people that brought these accusations. I can clear house here. I can do that. I never forget in that moment, I felt the, the little quiet voice that said, you receive grace, how about give some grace? And I said, nothing. I don't want you to do anything. I want to show grace. I don't want you to do anything. And my DS says, I wouldn't do that. I said, that's what I want to do. And you know, I left that room with a free freedom that I'd never felt in a while, a burden had been lifted, not just because I was clear, but I had cleared others, right? Grace works that way, where we extend grace to others because we've been graced. You know, if you've been saved by grace, or I've been saved by grace, I will be gentle. I will be humble. This servant that Jesus says went and found somebody and grabbed him by the throat. You ever been grabbed by the throat? It happened to me one time. It's not a good thing to be grabbed by the throat and to be shaken by someone, if you've been by saved by grace, you, you will be gentle. First Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift, up you, lift you up in honor. If you've been graced by God, you'll be humble, you'll be gentle. If, you, if I've been saved by grace, then I will be grateful. Anybody here in the room grateful for grace? You know, except for the grace of God, there go I. You know, I would not be up here today except by the grace of God. From the time I was 14 and received the grace of God, I, I was amazed that God would forgive me when I was 14. But I also was amazed last week that God would forgive me. That's the grace of God. I gotta be grateful for that. I gotta express that in worship and we'll do that in just a minute. If I'm saved by grace, then I will be generous. I won't try to squeeze every dime for myself. I'll be generous 
you know, I'll understand that God has given me more than I could ever use. God has given me more than I could ever need. And I'll be generous. If I've been saved by grace, I will do good deeds. We're not saved by good deeds. We're saved for good deeds. You hear that? We're not saved by good deeds. We're saved for good deeds. God saves us so we can do good things. Not to earn anything, because just out of gratitude, I want to do this for you. Again, Ephesians 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I want to give you this word here. This is kind of extra. God's grace intersects with godly grit. I want to say a word about godly grit. You know, grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. You hear that? It's not opposed to earning. It's opposed to earning, but not opposed to effort. Because of God's grace, we, we grind. Grit means backbone, fortitude, spunk. Grace fuels our grit. We need grit today. Grace is hard. Truth is hard. I love the acrostic for, for, for grit. It is guts. It's the conviction of unwavering truth that leads to courage in the face of adversity. It is resilience, the ability to bounce back from failure, loss, or setbacks. It is initiative, trusting God's path, trusting God's purpose, those Red Sea moments. It's tenacity, it's perseverance over time, willpower, never giving up. Godly grit is striving hard and standing fast because it intersects and is empowered by God's grace. We look at the history of the church, Big C Church. It's full of grace and full of grit. It begins with Jesus who went to a cross and died on a cross, took grit to go to a cross. You have the disciples who all were martyred except for John who died in exile, took some grace, took some grit. Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, William Wilberforce who helped out in slavery in England. John Wesley, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died in a Nazi prison. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Billy Graham. Who's going to lead next? Who's going to be the person of grace and grit that's going to stand against the tide and say, this is where we stand. Today, parts of the church are gripped by fear of rejection, fear of being canceled, fear of being irrelevant. We need to stand unashamed and unapologetic for the grace of God for the gift of God with grit. Then I'm saved by grace. If I'm saved by grace, then I will seek to glorify God. When we do all of this well, God is glorified. God is honored. We're not honored. God is honored. I want to give an invitation this morning. Perhaps as, as God was speaking this morning through his word, that you realize that, hey, I'm not sure I'm spiritually alive. My pulse is weak. I might be on life support. But I'm here, or I'm listening, so thank you, God, for that. But I want you to make me spiritually alive. And I want you to know this. If you confess your sins, then he is faithful to forgive you. If you invite Jesus Christ into your life, he will come into your life he will change your life. He will save you. And maybe you're a person today who's a believer and you need more grit. You need some grit to be strong in the Lord. I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you today that you have given us the gift of amazing grace.
Father, thank you for loving us and sending your son into this world and that Jesus came full of grace and truth and grit. He died on a cross, his blood was shed, his body was broken so that we can be forgiven people. I pray for right now for that person who knows they need you in their life, that right now your word is spoken to them and they need to accept you. They're, they're heartbroken. They're under the control of sin. Life is full of one disappointment after another. And I pray right now today, this morning, that they will receive your grace, the gift. They will confess and you, they believe and receive your grace. And for those persons listening today who need more grit, Father, help us to know that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives us strength. Give us grit. Give us grace. And may we be people of grace. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.